All right, all right, all right. You the real MVP. Do you get it? This is Would you please join me in welcoming Coach Tom Herman? We will win championships. We will build men of character, and we will do it all with integrity and with class. You go play foosball with your friends. Hi, welcome to Eyes on the 40. I'm Josh Wilson. Joined with me today is Blake Herring and Nolan Rapp. On today's episode, this is a little bit of a an emergency episode. Didn't know we would for sure be doing this one today. Breaking news. Well, That's my technically, news. It's, That's it. it's, it's a little old news now in today's news cycle, but Chris Del Conte, new athletic director at the University of Texas. Just for before we get into that on today's episode, we're going to discuss the hire. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the college football playoffs, although next week we'll be coming back with a more full extent bowl preview. Um, then we're going to have Preston Moore, friend of the pod, on today's episode to talk UT basketball. And then Nolan's got a running the screen for us. Should be a short and sweet episode. Um, but yeah, let's get it going. Blake, um, give me your thoughts on the hire and, and what you're feeling You know, after this was announced. Yeah, I mean, um, excited about the hire. Really what perplexed me, that's my word of the day right there, what perplexed me the most um, about it all was, was, and this might not be, the, I don't know the right word. Did the, you pontificate the, on this? The, the, the stealthiness of it all uh, and, and how it all went down. I mean, we had talked off air and, and, and everything we had read, you know, the past month and then the leading, uh, these past weeks, it sounded like it wasn't going to be until 2018 when we were going to get a new athletic director. Uh, we knew it was something that was in the works, uh, but really wasn't something we were expecting to happen now. Um, and it caught a lot of people, especially in the industry, off guard. Yeah, no, I, I would go with that. Um, I mean, obviously, when Mike Perrin was hired, he was hired under an interim basis. Um, so you knew at some point in time there would be a, a, an official AD hiring taking place, but that timeline just kept being extended and extended. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was going to be at the beginning of 2017, and then it's like, no, he's going to fill out his contract. And then, so yeah, this, I was camping Saturday and I just did a quick Twitter check right before we got settled and um, I saw the breaking news and it really caught me off guard. But I'm with you. I think this is a home run hire. Just kind of give me your thoughts on what this impact, what an AD's impact will be on the University of Texas, having one in place now. So, and this is where I don't know how to feel, right? Because as excited as I am about the hire, uh, Crystal Conte, we can call him CDC going forward. Um, CDC, Let's do that. Yeah, CDC uh, from this point. A little, nice. little easier to say. You know, as impressive as a resume that that he has coming from Rice, um, and and obviously not coming from TCU, and, and what he's done for for that program from an athletic standpoint, getting them from they were what were they before Mountain West? They Conference USA Big first. They're Big East. Um, and then joining Mountain West and ultimately. Oh no no! They went from Mountain West to the Big East to the Big Twelve. There we go. So I don't know what they were before the Mountain West. I think they're a conference USA. It's regardless. Yeah. Get, getting them where they were to where they are now, um, it's pretty impressive. Not just on the football front. We're talking a baseball program that is a national contender year in, year out. A basketball program now uh, under coach uh, Jamie, Jamie Dixon. Dixon. Um, really impressive for us. And, and, and not only all of that success on the field, but what he's done kind of behind the scenes from a fundraising standpoint, which is and a lot of people don't want to hear this, but that's the athletic director's oh yeah, numero uno job is, is raising funds and, and scratching the back of boosters. That's what has me more excited than the fact. So the, the two things that has me most excited is his fundraising ability and what he's done uh, from a facility standpoint 
from other jobs that he's had or other campuses he's had. Um, from basketball to, I think, f- football, they just wanted a new renovation at TCU uh, during yeah. his time there. So something that's, that we're fixing to be going down as well with football, baseball starting the pipeline, and a brand new arena for basketball. It's a great experience that he's coming here with. Now, that being said, does that mean that because of CDC being here that we're going to rattle off eight or nine wins next year for football? No. It's, it's, it's not because a- if, if you think the reason why Texas only won six games this year was because of athletic department support or lack thereof, you're, you're clueless. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things where, although it won't translate to next season, I think having a big-time hire like this, there's been a lot of – this Texas program in its entirety has lacked stability since 2012. Like, you know, everything was at its high point in the late 2000s. And then, you know, we look at DeLoss Dodds in his final years. Although DeLoss is like one of the all-time greats in Texas, he he was an old kind of one foot out the door his last few years. No disrespect to him. Um, and then you look at Steve Patterson. He was come in. He was brought in to fire Mac Brown and clean up the athletic department. And although he did that, he was just a giant a-hole along the way. And so Mike Perrin's job and role was to be able to just kind of settle the boosters, um, get get donors, keep people happy, and just kind of keep things in pace until we found a new AD. So now we're looking for the first time since before the lost Dodds final years where we have a vision and a future for the Texas program being able to put in place and execute. So I don't think this will translate to wins next year. I think this is going to set up football and all the other sports up for success for a decade to come now, well, once it, it finally gets going. It just further strengthens uh, Tom Herman's favorite word, and, that, and that's alignment. Alignment. From the top top to bottom. Um, it, it, it makes that line even straighter. So it's, it's nice having, I don't know if I'm going to call it comfort, security, knowing that kind of behind the scenes things are going to be taken care of now. And yeah. Professional. Yeah, maybe not professional, because I don't want to talk negatively about Perrin. Because well, so, he, did, he did the best with, with what he was dealt with. Right? I mean, for Perrin was, by all accounts, really good, but he's not an athletic director. And he'd be the first was, to tell you that, too, I think. Yeah, he would. And he, was, he was a lawyer, and he was basically just a really competent super fan. It would be like if I was really smart, and 50 years from now they gave me the AD position. But also I knew how to stroke egos, too. Yes. So... Although in an ideal world, an interim AD wouldn't make a, a head football coach and a head baseball coach hiring, I thought he did both those things fairly well. I mean, Tom Herman was the guy everyone wanted. He brought him in. But now you look at the relationship CDC and Tom have together working at the past with Rice, I think this speaks bodes of to how this you know program is still backing Tom um, by getting a guy he's comfortable with and has a relationship with. Well, and, and going off the relationship, um, earlier before we got on uh, in recording, with the privilege, uh, the three of us have a connection uh, that, that we know that is close to CDC. And it, it was refreshing to get to hear somebody that knows him personally talk so highly of him. You know, everything you read, you know, talks about how competent, you know, he is. And, and this is the man for the job. And a lot of times you read those articles and, Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. But it, it was it was great to hear some kind of behind-the-scenes stories um, of, of just, one, how much the TCU job really meant to him, yeah. um, and, and, and two, just how excited he is for this new opportunity. No, I completely agree. And, and um... I think that the comparison that, that our, our guy that we know, the three of us, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but and I still can't believe he said this, but and this is what he said, 
honest to God's truth. I think he might have said, this is bigger for the program, having CDC as the athletic director, than Nick Saban being the head coach at the University of Texas would have ever been. And that and that, yeah, that's, and that's what, what we said. were told. That's what he said. Yeah, for sure. I would like to have Nick Saban also, though. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that Can one. Can we get I a could, but I, and? I couldn't just like let that one slide That's by. a bold statement. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and I, I don't know if I go that far, but I just... I think it's it's. I'm glad that we're now looking where maybe there's some just stability in the Texas football program or Texas athletic program, which I don't think can be overstated enough, um, just with the amount of change we've seen. And also, let's look ahead to what the next you know five six years might entail, um, where conference realignment is something that is going to probably happen in 2022 2023. Um, so although that seems like a far far away you are already making those plans and kind of preparing yourself. And then, I mean... But to what I said earlier, though, like that's something that he has experience with already. Oh, yeah. Which bodes so well in our favor. Absolutely. And then you look, basketball is going to have to have a new arena built. We need a good decision maker to, you know, how big is that stadium? Where is it put? And, And those types of decisions. I mean, you know, tennis was just rebuilt. And there's, you know, in the UT and Austin landscape, there's just all these changes that are going to be occurring in the next several years. And so I'm glad we have a guy in place that it seems like we can trust. I mean, Blake, I'm just wondering, like, so CDC comes in. I just want your wildest imagination. If this is a home run hire, what's the first thing he's going to do? Absolute pipe dream. And to your point that you just talked about, you know, the campus, the athletic facilities are so landlocked with I-35, with all with the Dell Medical School coming through, I mean, that's a whole other mess and a whole other issue. Absolute pipe dream. We need the bubble closer to the stadium. We need an indoor oh. practice facility that connects to the locker room, to the football facilities. You're not having to bus players, walk players, escort players over, you know, three-fourths of a mile just to get to the indoor practice facility. Interesting. No idea how that gets done. Yeah. I mean, that's a two-, three-year project at least. But, but if, if you're saying, if I'm dreaming big, yeah, I would say I'm curious to see what effect he'll have on game day atmosphere at, at football and basketball games. Because um, I was talking to my friend Foster, um, who we had on the show last year, and he's worked in several athletic departments in his time. And he's and one of the things he was said is, you know, you can be good and be a commercial, but you can't be bad and be a commercial. And that's what Texas has been you know, at home games. So the past four years going into fourth quarters with Tiff Treats commercials at pivotal points in the game. And I'm curious to see how that dynamic will change with CDC in place. Yeah. And in all sports, in football, in basketball, in women's basketball, how he'll change those environments. That'll be really interesting to see what, what what's game day atmosphere, what the student section looks like. Because that's something that, that Tom has even called out since yeah. the season's ended. Like something's got to change there. Yeah, I agree. Um, to, to really create, you know, that, that, that home field advantage where, where teams really, or, or, or teams fear coming to Austin. And I feel like that hasn't been the case yeah. for maybe a decade, yeah. unfortunately. Well, I, I don't have too many more thoughts. Do you have anything else you want to say? I, I think this is a home run hire. I'm glad we got this done and we can move forward. Absolute but. home run hire. That being said, don't let this get to your head. This, this does not affect wins, losses for <laughs> any program. The fact, you know, when, when coaches... When coaches are going into 18-year-old kids' homes to try to get them to come to UT, they don't know who the athletic director is. They, 
th- that that means nothing. He's not playing left tackle next year, and that's one thing we really need to figure out. So, but yes, I think I think this is a long term. We'll look back and see his his marks in place whenever UT is back. No doubt. But for now, no doubt. We'll wait. All right, now on the phone, we've got our very own Preston Moore, fan of the pod, or friend of the pod, what a um, treat. UT basketball savant or connoisseur. Uh, Preston, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. What's up, Preston? What's up, guys? Excited to be on the show. So this is the first time we're really talking basketball on the podcast this year. Um, you're about as big as a UT basketball fan as I know, other than maybe like Taylor Levesque. Um, so just give us your thoughts on the season so far and how you think this team's progressing and, and what you see. Yeah, so it's it's exciting this year because it really seems like Shaka has the guys that are, are finally able to fit his system. So as much as you love guys like Shaquille Clear uh, <laughs> and the rest of the ragtag bunch that we've had over the last couple of years, they really haven't fit into Shaka's system well. So I'm, I'm super excited and very bullish about this season because – for the first time, really under the tenure of Shaka, we've got guys that fit in his system, and I'm going in right off the bat. I say Sweet 16 minimum oh, uh, with, with, with Final Four potential. You've been hanging out with Josh too long, man. God dang it. Hey, great great minds think alike. No. <laughs> Listen, we brought Preston on because I knew he was super optimistic about this season. Gosh So, I mean, it. just tell us what you've seen so far, like – so that was kind of your expectation coming in the end of the year. What was your what have you seen from this team so far that kind of confirms that? Yeah, well, I think to confirm that, I think we've got a bunch of really long, talented athletic big men. And so I think whether it's a Mo Bomber or whether it's a Jericho Sims, guys like that give me a lot of excitement. Uh, and then you obviously you've got the guards and the role players and the depth to fit in around that. So um, you've got other guys to kind of fill in around a Mo Bamba and an Andrew Jones. You have a go-to scorer in Andrew Jones uh, who can kind of score the ball and then also facilitate for other people to get involved. And so I will say the one caveat, or I guess a, a couple different caveats are, you know, Andrew Jones has to be healthy. Otherwise, he's uh, if we don't have Andrew Jones, then we might as well write off the rest of our season. Yeah, real quick, we learned today that he's going to be out for two weeks with a wrist injury. Did I read that right? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a couple weeks, so like anywhere in the two- to three-week range, which honestly, I don't know. It, it, it worries me a little bit because we've got an important stretch coming up with Michigan at home, with Alabama uh, coming up here in about 10 days, and then with Kansas to open up the Big 12 play. So... I think it's really it's at a crucial point in the season uh, that we're losing him. But I also think on the other side of it, um, it is kind of it may be a blessing in disguise because we could have a guy like an Eric Davis or like a Jacob Young kind of step in and fill the role outside uh, of those uh, of what Andrew Jones will need. So hopefully it ends up being a situation where a guy like that can step up, but. I don't know. We'll definitely, we'll definitely see what the team looks like without Andrew Jones, and I think it could be a pretty rough couple of games, especially because we're playing some quality opponents in there. Yeah, and I'll say from what I've seen from this team so far, like you watch those first few games, and it looks like a good team beating a bad team. Like it looked like a team that is playing well and looks like it has potential. 
but I've also seen this team blow a 16-point lead to Duke, nearly blow that game to VCU this past week. Blake, you sound a little more pessimistic about this team or just the thought of this team having a high ceiling. <laughs> what's your reasoning for that, and what's your thoughts? No, well, you, you two are definitely the, the, <laughs> um, ahead of me when it comes to you know basketball knowledge of our team and whatnot. I'll get into it here in the next few weeks. Uh, but you are Mr. Coming into the season... I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, high on life, Josh Wilson. And, I mean, I thought we just we, – we, we have an episode not two, three weeks ago where I can kick you in the nuts if, you know, you, you – Football. That was football, uh, not basketball. All right. Well, Preston, I was hoping you'd be a man of reason and, and would talk my man Josh down off of uh, off this ledge that, that, that he's gotten up on, this ledge of confidence. But uh, Preston, I have to. You've I'm been an enabler, Mister Moore. So. Preston is definitely an enabler. I have no, I have no qualms about that. But I, I do think it, it is. Well, what Josh and I need to have happen is we need Andrew Jones to come back healthy. We need Mobamba to develop a little bit in the post where he's not getting pushed around by six five DCU big man. Uh, and then we also we need some outside shooting to step up. So whether that's Eric Davis, whether that's Jacob Young. Uh, we need guys to kind of fill in around the, the core team to where they can uh, facilitate and get hot when, if and when needed. You know who on this team, Preston, reminds me a lot of you? <laughs> Go ahead. Who is it? <laughs> Dylan Ostkowski. Ostkowski. Big no, shoulder, <laughs> just a brute force. Grabs boards, not afraid smooth to dunk around, on you. Smooth around the basket. Yeah, r- real smooth. Little little pretty fifteen foot jump shot. If that's my UT basketball doppelganger, I'll gladly take that. <laughs> Mine was Demarcus Hall. Load, loaded up with tats, just the whole nine yards. <laughs> um, Dude, he's honestly he's the glue guy that we've needed forever. I I'm super high on him as well because he just, I mean he it, it even when Mo Bamba got his concussion, it was apparently because Oskowski gave him a nice little elbow to the head. So have you seen? Uh, I don't think it was intentional, but he definitely is the kind of Rico gathers bruiser that we've needed over the years. So we haven't had. I don't think we've talked about this on air. We might have off, but have y'all seen the billboard on I-35 by the bubble? Yeah, that's promoting Texas basketball. That photo of Dylan and just like his shoulders. I mean, he's playing the wrong sport. I mean, yeah, we've discussed he definitely should suit up for te- for at tight end for Texas in the bowl game. There's no doubt about that. Well, considering we don't really have a tight end, it he, m- we might as well suit him up, have a two-sport athlete, yeah. like the good old days. Hey, Preston, you brought up two things that I want to talk about, and most and both of those on the offensive side of the ball. Um, two things that concern me about this team is one, the lack of outside shooting or the lack of consistency with outside shooting, um, especially talking from like the guards in this position. And then secondly, um, I haven't liked what I've seen from Mo Bamba offensively so far, and I'm just curious your thoughts on those two things. Yeah, I agree. The outside shooting, we have to shoot at least 35% from the three-point line to have any kind of hope. I think week in and week out, especially in a very deep, big 12 this year um but i do i do worry about the outside shooting as well and i do think we need some people to step up there mo bamba offensively i think it has to do mainly with the strength issue that i was talking about earlier where he needs to get stronger he needs i think he put on 20 pounds of muscle since he came to texas and he honestly needs about 20 pounds more because he just he looks 
he's honestly he's been a liability at the end of the game so far and so i think that uh he's got to get stronger and he's got to develop a little bit more touch and post moves but his outside shot looks really good he shoots free throws really well which has never really been the case for ut big men and so honestly like he's got he's got an outside shot which when you have a longer wingspan than anybody in the NBA currently has, I think that it'll just take some time, but he's just got to get tougher. And hopefully a guy like Osikowski will kind of toughen him up and and make him stronger. And, but I think those are kind of the two Achilles heels that you bring up. Josh are outside shooting and then Mo Bamba's offensive lack of prowess because he really has been a liability at the end of games, but I think he'll get better as the year goes on. I worry more about the outside shooting than I do about Mo Bamba's offensive ability. And and I mean, for what he lacks offensively, defensively, he has been just an absolute wrecking ball, like averaging four blocks a game, protecting the rim, making every shot difficult. The one thing I do want to say is, you know, Mo Bamba is without a doubt a one and done. He's going to be a top five lottery pick. And it kind of frustrates me because it seems like at Texas, other than Kevin Durant, we've had all these guys who leave after one year, but we ne- haven't necessarily gotten to see like the fruit of having first round lottery picks. I mean, we had Jared Allen who didn't do much. We had Tristan Miles Thompson. Turner. Yeah, Miles Turner who goes to the NBA and becomes a stud. Thanks, Rick Barnes. But then you look at like Avery Bradley, Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph, like all these guys that became solid NBA players but didn't necessarily do that much at their time in Texas. And then you watch Duke with Marvin Bagley and you just see like a completely polished basketball player. Well, part of it I think is you look, and this is true for, you look at Texas basketball probably last three or four years, some of the big names we've had, they've been the only name on campus, right? Where you're just looking at one, one and done per year. You look at Dukes, the Kansases. Yeah. I mean, they're they're loaded with two, if not three guys a year. Where where that 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 talent alone will carry you to a Sweet Sixteen. That Preston is predicting for us, which I still can't believe. <laughs> well, and, and so it's interesting that Josh brings up Kevin Durant because I've got a pretty big Kevin Durant hot take, but. I actually, I don't think his jersey deserves to be up in the rafters of the Frank Irwin Center because if you go back and look at that 2006-2007 season, he only took us to the second round before getting bounced by OJ OJ Mayo Mayo, and USC. And so really, if you look at a guy like DJ Augustine who was there another year and who took us to the Elite Eight in 2007-2008, the last time we went – Honestly, Kevin Durant, I mean, sure, he won National Player of the Year and got a bunch of accolades, but from a team perspective, you know, I think we were a four seed that year and we really didn't capitalize even on arguably the best player to ever come through the UT basketball program. So you, to your point, we, we've, we very much uh, underutilized these talented players that have come through, but I do think Shaka is using Mo Bamba in a way that he'll – alter the game on both the offensive and the defensive end. And so I, I worry less about Mo Bamba and Chaka Smart than I do about Rick Barnes and any number of players that you just listed off there. Yeah, well said. And and, and I yeah, you're at you're right about KD and, and only going to the second round. I just meant from a, from a perspective of watching like a top five pick perform like a top five pick the entire season. Like I mean he was national player of the year, could put up thirty any night, but I get your point. <clears throat> okay, so we're looking ahead. We got Michigan Tuesday, 
And then, you know, we're not far from Big 12 play. What are you, what are you projecting as far as Texas falling in, a, in the Big 12 perspective? Yeah, so I think the issue with the Big 12 this year is that top to bottom, in basketball, it's just very deep. And I know Kansas Well, I mean, is, that's been the case for the past few years. Big 12's all been a very strong basketball conference. But I, yes, I agree that, with that, you. That's true. But I think almost uniquely this year where I think we the Big 12 could have, you know, seven or eight of the ten teams make the NCAA tournament. And you look at it, yeah, sure, Kansas has lost back-to-back home games under Bill Self for the first time under Bill Self's tenure but i think they're probably still the favorite to win the big 12 you've got tcu playing really strong under coach dixon a former tcu uh, alum you've got tech playing well you've got ou playing well so you look at across the big 12 and you know honestly i i could see us competing at the top of the Big 12, but I think probably more realistic in the 18 Big 12 conference games that we have, you know, I think if we go 8 and 10, 9 and 9, 10 and 8, I'm not terribly disappointed because I think that puts us in the, you know, 6 to 8 seed range. Um, anything above that, I'm obviously ecstatic about. Anything below that, and I mean, if Shaka didn't make the tournament this year, sadly, I think the president has been set with coach strong that texas would get rid of a a coach it'd be interesting to see what del conte would do if shaka misses the ncaa tournament this year but i have to think that we'll we'll be a a solid big 12 team that can beat anybody in in the conference but then also we'll take care of business you know against an oklahoma state or a team that may be not as good but i just think the big 12 is so stacked that you know probably any given week in the two big 12 conference games that we have we'll probably be playing at least one ranked team every week so i think it'll be a a gauntlet going through the big 12 but i think that'll prepare us well for the ncaa tournament yeah i I agree it'll it'll definitely be a fun conference to watch you kind of threw me for a loop there going from Sweet for sure, sweet sixteen to we might miss the tournament. <laughs> well, you gotta cover all spectrums there. Welcome you to the cover dark. yeah, you covered a wide spectrum. Welcome to the dark sure. side, I, Preston. I, I legitimately I'm so high on this Texas team. I, I really don't think that there's a high probability of that being the case, but I do think you have to at least cover it if for some reason we crash and burn similarly to a, a 2009 2010 texas team yeah but oh. i just it has a different feeling under shaka than it did under rick because even you know what we're six and two right now with close losses to duke and gonzaga but it still seems like this team is developing and peaking to where shaka unlike rick barnes a rick barnes coach team peaks in, in december Jan- january yeah. whereas a shaka smart coach team that's why I'm not really worried about losing Andrew Jones for two or three weeks as long as he comes back healthy is because Shaka gets his teams playing their best basketball come March. And so that's what's most important. It's different than football. In football, you lose one regular season game and you lose all your margin of error and then you lose a second one and then you're pretty much out of it. Yeah. In basketball, as long as you make the tournament and even, you know, like I said, if we go eight and 10, nine and nine in conference and are an eight seed, Honestly, that's that's as good a chance as pretty much, you know, you see 11 seeds making runs to the Final Four. You see 10 seeds, 9 seeds, 8 seeds. So I just want to get to the tournament and see what happens. Obviously, a higher seed would be better, but I just want to dance come March. I think we'll be there. And, yeah, I think this team has the capacity to beat any team in the country. 
but like we mentioned, it's just going to be that outside shooting. You know whether you know whether or not this team makes it to the next round. But anyways, Preston, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll ha- probably have you back on later in, at the end of the year to uh, see where things are at. Yeah, hopefully and not then, uh, uh, deciding who our next head basketball coach is going to be. Yeah, let's hope not. But, yeah, um, absolutely. Appreciate the time, guys. I always love being on the show. All right, no game this to digest this week, but we still got to running the screen. Nolan, tell us what you're thinking and how you're feeling today. Real short one today, and it's more of just kind of an, an overall feeling. We we didn't talk about it too much, but just kind of all the players that are skipping bowl game or just the ones that we know that are leaving and just feel like it's everyone's kind of moving on. And so I thought of the last scene from Friday Night Lights, the movie, where we just start to see kind of everyone go their separate ways, and especially Friday Night Lights, the movie, because there's a lot of movies that have that scene where everyone like yeah. walks their separate ways. But Friday Night Lights, because they lost that game. So it's like some people were very upset with it. Some people, that was all they had, like, I guess, us as Texas fans. But we just see people, like, we're happy for them. Like, we're happy for Connor. We're happy for, I would assume, Malik, um, for Deshaun, for everybody, too. But then it's just like, well, what are we left with? And it's just like the kids that have to stay in the town that, like, have no other shot. They're just staying here, and this is where they're at. That's what I feel like we are now as Texas fans. Like we have a bright future. Tom's still here. We still have the coach. We're still good to go. We're looking forward, but it's just like we're just feel like left and right. We're saying goodbye to people. Yeah, not it, it is that time of year. And and one other th- thing with that scene, it's like where he's doing the thing where he takes their names off the yeah. chart board. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, so it's like you see you know Williams go down, and then you put up Rodriguez. You see yeah. Elliot come down. You put up Brown. Stuff like that. I, I dig that a lot. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, when this is I feel like this has been the most NFL worthy people we've had in a long time in one class. Well, if you look at the issues with Texas, you know, why we haven't been successful the past few years, um, it's because those high quality draft picks haven't been on the team. Now it sucks to see yeah. that we're losing five, four or five quality guys um and only win six games. But I think it is a sign of being on the right path developing those yeah, guys. We have a consistent amount of those guys, which is good. Well, so yeah, it. that's it. Cool. Really just simple. I'm going to try to come up with a good one before bowl game next week. Bet. All right, Blake, let's go to our college football playoff pick em. Um We're all the games have passed. The playoffs are set. We're a little late on the reaction takes, so I'm not going to give those. But the final four, we've got Clemson, OU, Georgia, final spot, Bama. So I, my teams, I have OU and Bama. You scrolled out there. Georgia and Clemson with Bama. Yeah, you got pretty squirrely there. I came real close to to nailing three of those four. Yeah, I came a lot closer close. than you would have liked. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, though, I thought I think OU and Auburn were the hottest teams going into playoffs. That so I didn't get to watch the full Auburn Georgia game in its entirety, but I did see the first quarter. I thought that game was over. Yeah, that's all I saw for that whole game. Uh, Spurs had a game that night at work and. I remember looking back on my phone uh, and seeing like Georgia somehow pulled it off, and not only pulled it off, but just whooped them. Yeah, I mean, it looked like they just dominated that whole game. So, but I think you're right. You know, coming into to that stretch, that week of games, you'd have thought Oklahoma and Auburn were some of the two hottest teams, and Oklahoma yeah. looked the part. Which, believe me, I would rather lose this bet than watch Baker Mayfield, who's already held up the Heisman, now win up or hold up. A college football championship trophy. Did you even watch the Heisman? No, I no, either. I couldn't. I couldn't watch. Nothing really to even watch there. No, I There's mean no it surprise. was surprise. Honestly, 
it was one of the most lopsided Heisman's. Like Lamar Jackson was definitely going to win last year, but I felt like you could make some arguments for McCaffrey and and Fournette. This year it was like hands down Mayfield was the only real option. For sure, that's about the extent I want to talk about that. I feel like since and and I might be missing a good year uh, or two in the meantime or in, in the middle here, but I feel like the stage was set so high with Manti Teo's girlfriend that ever since then, the Heisman has never, hasn't been what it used to be. <laughs> like, he set the bar it's, so high for what the Heisman trophy-like ceremony is like. For unprecedented reasons, he set the bar so high. In that very, very odd, adverse ways. Um, that's, that's the cream of the crop when it comes to Heisman. It, it's funny, I checked my time hop, and apparently, like, the year RG3 won the Heisman, I got very passionate about Monty Ball from Wisconsin winning the Heisman. And I like, now his thing <laughs> popped up on my Facebook wall of like, oh, you liked the Facebook page Monty Ball for Heisman. And now it like updates his career and stuff. And I'm like, how, wait, well, how am I still on this? I completely forgot I cared for like a week. You choosing a hill to die on? Doesn't sound like you at all, Josh. No, no. Not but at, at, at the at the end of the day, as as much as I wish for our contest sake that Ohio State would have found its way into being one of those final four teams where I could have three of those four, I think at the end of the day, selection committee made the right selection there. I do as well, and I've gone on record that I'm vehemently opposed to multiple teams from the same conference being in play here. The only reason I'm letting this slide is because Bama and Georgia haven't lined up against yeah. each other. Um, I still don't love it, but I thought Bama was definitely more deserving than Ohio State. At the end of the day, in, in in the climate we live in, where political correctness, you know, controls everything. Whoa, where are we where going? Where is this going? <laughs> it was it was refreshing for me to see people or the committee members look past um, the glory of a conference championship, and you know the fact that that should reign supreme overall, and look at it from a perspective of is this team flat out better than that team based on, on, on the eye test. And there, there's nobody out there that would, that would flat out convincingly convince me that. And I think a lot of people that are you know, associated and consider themselves college football fans, that Ohio state is a better team right now than Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no matter Cause, what, cause the only feather they have in their hat that Bama doesn't is a conference championship. championship. And it doesn't hurt this conversation that that school not having the conference championship is Alabama. Because you, you got to admit, though. Earned their place. Like, Alabama almost got in more because of 2010 to now than anything. No, that's true. And, and you're lying to yourself if you think that that didn't play into it yeah, at yeah. all. You know, um, the recency bias of how good Bama's been. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, Damn, what was I gonna say? you gave up 55 points to Iowa. That kind of ends any right to an argument you have. Yeah. So um, that's a stain that's hard to come back from. All right. So the first first matchups of the playoffs, we've got Bama versus Clemson, year three, although this time not for the national championship, and then Georgia OU. Who do you think wins those matchups? Well, and I think that's part of that. Because right when these selection committee members are trying to put these teams together, they're trying to fill TV ratings too. And mm-hmm. what's going to sell? Clemson, Bama. Absolutely. And you get that first round guarantee. You know, a, a small part of the committee – that's in the back of their mind a little bit. And I'm not saying that that, that a little controls. bit, but wouldn't you rather have that for like a third straight national championship? No, I think there's no guarantees. Of yeah, that. yeah. Okay. But if we're just looking like all four of these teams, like no matter what the matchup is, these are four teams that are going to bring in ratings. 
Correct. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So who do you think wins? Between Clemson and uh and, and Bama? I mean I, I I wanna hear both matchups. So yeah, just pick pick well, one. Well, here's my thing, right? Like you couldn't leave Bama out because they're going to be favorited against every team they probably play going forward. I mean, yeah, I, I think they'll. Has have, has the line come out? You're the one who you're the degenerate gambler. I assume there has to be a line out for Bama Clemson. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a game here where where Bama is the four seed, right? Clemson mm-hmm. the one seed. Bama's a two and a half point favorite. Really? Wow. I like Clemson in that game. I really do. I don't think Bama's won an impressive game all year. Like I think they're a dominant team against those mid-level teams, but I think Clemson's defense is going to just harass Jalen Hurts, um, and I think they have enough offensively with a healthy Kelly Bryant. The only game they struggled offensively this whole year was when Kelly Bryant was injured, so I think that'll be enough to carry him. I've had multiple people tell me that this this team is better than last year's team. Clemson? Yeah. Would you? Where do you fit in that? I mean, Deshaun Watson is just such a one of those generational college football players that I think, because in that game, he had a, not to the level of Vince Young, but a Vince Young-like performance. In that ballpark. And, you know, Kelly Bryant, I think, is very talented. He has nowhere, he doesn't have that ceiling that Sean Watson has. So I think overall, this is a better team than last year, but having a championship performance like Sean isn't going to happen. But I mean, at the worst case scenario, they're picking up right where they left off. Yeah, yeah. to yeah, answer true. your question, so they they have a very good shot of winning this again. I, I just don't think, and, and I hate saying this, right? But and I just don't think Bama has the offensive fire firepower to to win this game. Yeah, I agree. I just hate betting against Nick Saban. The money would tell you not to do that. He, he I I don't know what his spread record is, but I assume it's got to be pretty favorable. Yeah, so. Um, probably won't be throwing any money here, but <laughs> <laughs> but if you make me pick, I, I like Clemson as well. Yeah. All right. Let's go Georgia OU. I just feel like Georgia is a more well-rounded team. Uh, when you think of both sides of the ball, when you look at Oklahoma, you're looking at a, a pretty stereotypical Big Twelve team that can score a lot of points real quick, uh, but they can also let up six just as quick as well. Yeah. So. Georgia, you know, coming from the SEC, obviously having, you know, the, the defensive mindset um, and, and a defensive coach and Kirby Smart. Um, and I'm a little biased here, too, probably yeah. for, for how, who I want to win. I will but, be rooting for Georgia. Let's make no doubt about that. Well, well, Georgia has two big things going in their favor here. They've got a hell of a running game um, and then two solid backs, and they also have a defense. So you're telling me that Georgia has a really good chance of um, controlling time of possession with the running game, and they can also keep their offense off the field even longer by uh, locking down OU. I, I would say it's really weird in college football because we take a month gap in between these games, which doesn't make sense to me. So OU, I think at the end of the season, I don't think there's a team better playing in the country. Um, and I think if you know if they lined it up last Saturday, I think OU wins that game. Um, now on a neutral side after a month, I don't know if some of that steam wears off, how that affects the game. I still, at this point in time, would have to give a slight edge to OU. And that's it it, it right? will come down to whether or not that defense can contain yeah. Georgia's run game. But this offense is just too explosive. And I don't think Georgia's, although there are some better offenses now in the SEC than previous years, like, you know, Auburn was a good one. Georgia hasn't seen an offense like OU's. So you're taking OU? Yeah, so I'm picking Clemson OU championship. 
So do you buy or, or what are your thoughts as far as, you know, rooting for your conference and what that means for... Because um, to be honest, I don't even know really where I stand on this. Oh, I know where I stand. And I, and I have a good feeling where you stand. I see both sides of that argument. So I really have a hard time. Like it, I, it, I am interested in the outcome of one school and one school only, and that's the University of Texas. The only time I'm in favor of another team's outcome is when it could help our strength of schedule. But the one rule that I've learned in my young life is anytime you think it's a good idea to root for OU, it's not. And certainly not in the case where OU could potentially win a national championship. So, you know, I could care less if any Big 12 team wins a national championship. If any Big 12 team made a playoff game, you know, whether it be OU or had TCU won, I wouldn't care. Like, I care about Texas being in, and that's it. I mean, honestly, in a perfect world, and I think you would agree with this, in a perfect world, do you want Oklahoma to win their first-round game and, co- and be competitive in that national championship and ultimately lose? Because the, to, to, to See, the— See, I, I don't even follow that. Like, to for the me, country, it's just like, I don't care if OU loses by 50. It doesn't affect—because whenever Texas is good, whenever we are good in the future, like, Texas won't need the backing of the Big 12 to, like, prop us up. Like, Texas is—it is, is can independently be good in, like— like, if TCU was the team, then TCU needs, like, a strong Big 12 to make its case. Oklahoma State needs a strong Big 12 to make its case. OU and Texas, we don't need that. We're OU, we're Texas. They're OU, we're Texas. Whenever we're good, we'll get in. I mean, you say that, but we just talked about earlier how Bama needed, they, they were light heavy, or the committee relied heavy on Bama's recent success and the SEC's recent success. And that's probably what Bama's got them recent, in. Bama's recent success. I, I the mean, SEC call, has nothing call to what do you with want to. They, they've been the king of that conference. And because yeah. of that, that played a strong um, role in them landing that, that, that fourth seed, in my opinion. I'm trying to play a little devil's advocate here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get your point. Like, yes, you don't want every other team in the Big 12 losing their bowl games and going, you know, winning those or losing those non conference games early in the year. It's a bad look for your conference. Like at the end of the day, like if Texas take cares of business and we're ever in a position where we're twelve and zero or eleven one, Texas will be fine. I firmly believe that. I hope so. I hope you're right. Oh, you and, be, and oh, I hope you be damned. And I hope I hope that sooner, much rather than later. All right, let's go outside DKR. Nolan, wrap it up and tell us what's going on outside the football field. Yeah, we just got a couple quick things. Um, unfortunately, on Saturday, our women's volleyball um, season came to an end. Um, they had a real close one with Utah. Uh, last week, but then was they it, made it to the Elite Eight against Stanford, which yeah. was the national championship rematch from last year, yeah. and they were too much for us. So that I season's I saw, over. I saw a tweet. This is the first time in five seasons we haven't made the semifinals. Yeah, which, which is crazy. Man. Yeah. And conspiracy theorist, the reason why we didn't make it to the semifinals it's in my mind is because we got a crappy seed crap and seed. we had to play we had to play Stanford in the freaking Elite Eight. Like, if we get in top four, then that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But who cares? I do. I care. I actually care, (laughs) but it's what's done is done. So good run. Absolute good season. They perfected the Big 12, so nothing to take away from them. Just wish we could have sent you out with a natty. We talked about men's basketball. We beat uh, Florida A&M and then VCU on uh, Shaka's old home court, which was too close. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we blew a 19-point lead in the second half. Seems to be a recurring theme. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're doing well, and then we play Michigan tomorrow because we're recording yeah. on Monday, but you'll probably hear this on the day it happens. Yeah. Um, 
And then women's basketball, another kind of little upset. Um, we lost to Tennessee. Which Tennessee is a good program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not that big of an upset. But, but um, it was a little come down to earth. We aren't quite the number two team in the country just yet. Yeah. Man, but they're savage on that ranking. We went down to number eight, I think. Really? So it's like, don't mess up. Yeah. Um, that's about it. Around, it's, we're kind of getting to the only basketball season yeah. uh, of sports. And so that's kind of all we got going on in Texas. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, thanks again for Preston for coming on and talking basketball with us. And if you haven't, now is the time to subscribe, rate, Wait. and review. And I also want to remind people of, of our Emmanuel Ocho interview last week. Yes. Um, if you haven't listened to that, check it out. It's at you know about the halfway mark of the episode. Um, really good interview, really good insight from him. So, yeah, check that out. And then thanks again, and hook him. Hook him. Hook him.